It's good to see all of you. I'm stoked for tonight. I'm sad. It's really fun to be here, but we're doing Galatians 6. And if you've read Galatians before, there's six chapters, which means we're not going to be doing Galatians anymore. But I'm very excited to be finishing up the lone gospel. So we're going to be jumping into that. I'm really excited about it. Just Galatians is such a great book altogether, what Paul wrote. Uh, he writes to the Galatians, and in Galatians 6, which we're going to be looking at, it's a lot more practical, right? It's the end, and so he's giving the church a lot of vision and some ideas. And at the very end, Paul just goes into some really great ways on how to apply what we've learned. If you were here last week for Galatians 5, um, Scott talked about freedom in Christ and that idea of the flesh versus the spirit. And so following that tonight, Galatians 6, we're going to be looking at um, how do we live in the spirit and things like that. So it's going to be really helpful. It's going to help us focus on how to live well as a Christ follower. It gives some practical application on living well um, and just honestly righteously before God. So we're going to look at that. Uh, I have a couple of different passages of Galatians 6 in your handout. So a lot of tonight is just going to be going over the first passage on the left side, and then we'll look at the second passage and just go through those. But before we get started, let me pray and then we'll jump in. God, thank you that we get to be here tonight, that we get to hear from your word. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to come together to worship, um, to get to read just part of the Bible. I pray that uh, you would just speak through me. Uh, God, you would allow all of us to be able to come away with something tonight, that we would grow closer to you and be able to apply some things from tonight to our lives. So we just thank you again for this time, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's look at, without any further ado, Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Let's just jump into the text. This is Paul speaking to the church of Galatia. He says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. So this passage at the start of Galatians 6 uh, communicates to the church of Galatia, all the church members, how they should be acting around each other as believers. Paul is very clear through these five verses that they need to do life together and not just be near each other, but actually be involved and serve and love one another. And that leads to the first point on the handout, if you guys want to follow along with that, which is to sacrificially love others. This theme goes throughout that whole passage that I just read. Right, sacrificially loving others, not just caring for them or, or loving people when it's easy, but that element of sacrificial, like willing to sacrifice when it's difficult. Right, in the beginning of verse 1, he talks about restoring someone gently. Like, that is not... Uh, comfortable often to restore someone, to be able to help them or um, point out something that so they can grow in it. Like that idea of restoring someone is can be very tricky, honestly. Like the easiest way to restore someone is to not restore someone, right? Like if someone is living a way and it looks difficult maybe, or they're struggling with something, like personally, if I see that and I don't want to be confrontational, I just like live and let live, you know, like that type of thing. Like, I don't want to get in their way. Like they, I'm sure they already know their situation or whatever it is. It, they probably have someone else already telling them. It's easier for me just to not worry about it. 
I, especially, what if I bring something up to someone because I care about them and I want them to grow and I see something in their life and then they get mad at me for it. Like that would suck, right? You're trying to do something to you know, be nice to someone else. Maybe they're heading down a path that you've even been on and you've had that struggle before and you want what's best for them and you share that with them in a really gentle way and they blow up at you. Like who wants that, right? Like that's difficult. But despite that, the Bible tells us that we are to love other believers enough to do that, enough to restore them. Because ultimately it's not about us. And if we really do care about them and love them, then it's okay if we might you know, be a little hurt by them or whatever else, if we're doing what the Bible tells us to do, which is to restore someone else in a gentle and loving way. And in verse two, right, Paul says to carry each other's burdens. Like talk about another idea of sacrifice right there. This is much easier said than done. Right? No one wants to carry a burden. That's what a burden is. Right? This made me think of backpacking. If any of you guys have been backpacking before, that idea of just throwing together all the stuff you need for camping on a backpack and then walking probably uphill outdoors for probably a while. Like it's, the idea is really fun. And so I've done it because the idea is really fun. But when you're actually out there, like it's a different story. Um, if you've done it, I'm sure you know. But you're just like literally carrying a burden on your back. And so that is tough. And so think about like this verse to carry each other's burden. Like imagine backpacking, you're going uphill, you got a couple miles left and all you're thinking about is that burden. And as soon as you can like be done with the burden and take it off and then your buddy next to you says, hey, actually I'm having some shoulder pain. Like, do you mind just grabbing this 40 pound bag for me for like a couple miles? Like that's the opposite of what you wanna do, right? We all have burdens. We all go through life and we have these difficulties. And so I'm sure there's not, you know, someone lining up at the door ready to say, hey, you know, life is so great for me. Um, everyone else just come give me your problems. I'll deal with them. I have nothing on my agenda for the next month. So please, I also have a ton of money and there's other resources. So let me know. Um, if that's, that is you, talk to me after. That'd be great. <laughs> but right, we all have burdens. Paul is saying to carry each other's burdens, like in a sacrificial way. Here's the thing, guys. A burden is not just a heavy weight, though. It could be sickness. It could be financial struggle. It could be loneliness. A burden could be something that happens to a person, uh, maybe circumstantial. It could even be a sin or a struggle that that person is, um, like ha they have themselves or they're doing to themselves. And if you know someone that is maybe struggling with uh, a personal sin, maybe it's really like laziness and you like see a roommate and they're, they're working somewhere, but they're just not showing up to work. And then they're complaining about how hard work is and how they have no money. And you can really like see in their life, hey, this is like a big problem. It's a burden they have because they need money. But, you know, they're just watching TV all day. And so you can say, well, you know, it's their problem. They're doing it. It's not like a hard circumstance of life. But the Bible says when that happens, that even if it's someone's own burden that they're putting on themselves, that we still ought to help them with that, that we can restore them in a gentle way. And when it is a difficult circumstance that someone is going through, verse two is clear that we need to be helping carry that burden alongside of them, loving them, being around them, whatever it is, to really sacrifice our time, our resources, whatever it might be to love them. This next verse on your handout uh, is a really great picture of grace that we should have with others. It's Romans 15, one, it says, now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Right, Paul again is mentioning to a completely different church the Roman church at the time, the importance of looking out for others and bearing weaknesses, right? We all have weaknesses. James 2.8, it 
If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Guys, it's so easy to love yourself well. Like it is so, you don't even have to think about it. You're, you're already looking out for yourself, right? Maybe you've had a hard day and you're driving home and your favorite taco truck is on the way. And you know what? You had a hard day. Like you deserve that taco or that burrito. And so you pull over, you spend money that you need to be saving. And man, life is just better, right? Maybe you have a test due at midnight and you haven't studied at all and it's like 6 p.m. and you just need to do well on that. But that's stressful. Like no one likes to take a test at night. So you go ahead and watch a couple movies instead of studying because you've earned that rest, right? You, you deserve it. It's so easy for us to do that. We don't think about, oh, how am I gonna love myself today? It naturally happens. And I love this verse, love your neighbor as yourself. Like what that really means. How often do we find ourselves thinking about others and trying to love others the way we love ourselves? And it's just a powerful message of love your neighbor as yourself. And I love in that verse, it says, keep, right? It's not a do it once a week. The Bible doesn't say do it once a week. Try to find someone, you know, and love them really well. And then you're good for the next month. It doesn't say that. Same with Galatians 6, where it says carry each other's burdens. Another translation says bear another or bear one another's burdens. And that idea in the Greek is to continue bearing, right? It's an ongoing process. So how do we do that? We can look to Jesus as the ultimate example of sacrificial love. In John, 1 John 3.16 on your handout, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I really love that verse. I also love that it just lays it out there. Like what is love? It's Jesus Christ laying down his life for us. All right, there's so many ideas and concepts and it means different things to different people. But in the Bible, we can look at a verse like that and we can know what real love is. Jesus died for us while we were, we were still sinning against him. Like what a great picture of sacrificial love. So what about you? Is there someone in your life, maybe even this week, that you need to practice this idea of sacrificial love with? As we love others and we carry their burdens and restore them gently, like this passage talks about, we can see that this passage is also riddled with a warning as well. And that is to get rid of pride. This is the second point on your handout. Get rid of pride. Right, if you look back to verse one, it says, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. Man, like who is, who is he giving the warning to? There's someone that is caught in a sin in the church. Like that's a pretty serious thing. Paul writes a letter. He's talking about someone that has sinned in the church. And he says, but watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. Paul isn't looking at that person that sinned, that messed up and they got caught in some serious thing. No, Paul is looking to the other believers. He's telling them, be careful, watch out for pride. Watch out that you might also be tempted. Whether it's to think of yourself more highly than you ought or to look down on other people. He says to watch out and make sure to restore them the right way, not in an arrogant, prideful way. And in verse three, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. He gives another warning to the prideful Christian, telling them that they deceive themselves when they think they're something they're not. So I wanna pause really quick. When I started talking about pride the last two minutes, who were you thinking about? Were you thinking about yourself? Were you thinking about someone else? Man, I know when I hear things like this, I grew up going to church, so I'd hear messages and 
um, you know, it's always, okay, if you're struggling with this and here's a verse for that, and I think, oh my gosh, I am so glad that, you know, this person is here today. They really need to hear this. And I think that is so common, especially when it comes to pride, right? The Bible talks so clearly about how we should not be prideful, that we should have a humble approach to life. But for some reason, it's so okay in our culture to think, well, I know the Bible says that and I'm, I'm really wanting to follow it and not be prideful, but you know, yeah, sure, I mess up a little bit, but the person to my right, yeah, I've definitely seen how they've messed up in this more. And so as long as I'm a little bit better than them, it's okay. I mean, there's always gonna be pride that we wrestle with. And so I really wanna encourage you guys to apply this, think about it. I'm sure if you're like me, then this is especially for you. Like if you didn't think about yourself, then maybe this is exactly for you. You know, I wanna encourage you to be open about that. And it is just so helpful. I mean, Paul says this for a reason, right? Later on in, in the second passage, he says, be careful, um, do not deceive yourselves. And that idea that he wouldn't say, don't be deceived if there was nothing to be deceived by, right? So the fact that he's saying this so clearly in verse three implies that we really need to understand the reality of pride. Romans 12, three, this isn't on your handout, but it's a great verse. It says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but think of yourself with sober judgment. I love that idea of sober judgment, willing to set aside pride to see ourselves the way God sees ourselves and to just ultimately seek for ways to grow rather than ways to compare ourselves to feel better with other people. And this passage is not just focused about pride in general. It relates to pride uh, with helping other people. And one really big reality that we should realize with this is this. Fear is not humility. Fear is not humility. If we choose not to bring up something because we don't wanna seem prideful, or maybe you know someone that corrects every little thing about other people, you think, I don't wanna be that person. Yeah, this person is struggling with this, and um, I see it, and I know I could lovingly help them out, and maybe I've even struggled with it, but I, you know, I don't wanna like, seem prideful and like I know everything and tell them how they should grow. It doesn't mean we're humble just because we're not saying something. It may mean that you're just too fearful of hurting the relationship or looking foolish by trying to clear something up or you know, any number of reasons, which ultimately shows that either you have a hidden pride or you value yourself and your relationship with them more than them actually growing in their walk with Christ or um, working through sin or a struggle. Right, we ought to restore someone gently, not because we're better, but because we want to love and follow God. And this is what the scripture says, right? To do that. And so we can follow God by doing that in a right way. And because we love the other person enough, even if it's difficult to do so. So with that, like be careful of pride in all its various forms. So verses one through three, it seems to be a nice flow. What we've just been talking about makes a lot of sense about not being prideful, things like that. Uh, let's look at verse four and five for a minute before we move on. It almost seems a little interesting, right? Uh, like the middle part of verse four says, take, uh, if you uh, test your own actions then you can take pride in yourself. Uh, and in verse five, it says, carry your own load. Like that idea of not worrying about other people, taking pride in what you can do. It almost seems a little contradictory, right? To verses one through three, where it's all about, you know, helping each other out, not being prideful. And then Paul says, yeah, take pride in yourself carry your own load. Like what's going on with that? Verses four and five, the argument that Paul is trying to make here 
is to attack the idea of comparison. That's his focus. We have this natural tendency to compare all the time with everyone. The Bible is clear that we shouldn't compare with others, how we work or serve or anything like that, but we should be comparing ourselves to the measure that Jesus has set before us with that. Right, but it's crazy how much we can twist that. Like the verse we looked at earlier, 1 John 3, 16, right, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to do that to others. And again, we, we think about that and we think, well, you know, I'm messing up a little bit, but the person over here, you know, they're doing a little bit worse. And so as long as I continue my path, like, and it stays ahead of some other people I know, that's good enough. That is good enough. But the problem is that we lose sight of God's standard when we focus on the world standard, we lose sight of it. And so we need to be wary of that fact and focus on God. Verse four is a reminder not to compare. If we see others as a standard, it's likely that we'll just become prideful when we see someone else failing in an area that we haven't yet. Paul is also clear in verse five with the message to work hard as well, right? He says, for each one should carry their own load. Just like we learned from the earlier um, chapters in Galatians, the gospel sets us free from the law, but it does not mean that we should indulge in the flesh or not have to worry about anything. We should not use this freedom to be lazy or to do nothing. But on the contrary, we should be working hard for the gospel. We should be sacrificing our time, right? That idea of sacrificial love. And even later in this um, passage in the book of, or the chapter of Galatians 6, and verse 14, Paul explains what he means by the idea of pride. He says, may I never boast in the cross. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul states this many times across different books to different churches, the idea that you should boast in Jesus alone. And so we can interpret what he says here in verse four, that they can take pride in themselves alone with these other scriptures that he's clearly laid out in understanding that we shouldn't take pride because we are good, but because God is good, because Christ is working through us. And so when we have pride, when we boast, it should be in the Lord. So putting this passage all together, this is a message to the believers in the church of Galatia to serve one another sacrificially, to be careful of their pride, and to be careful of comparison and laziness. So let's look at the second passage for tonight and how that connects to the first. Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become wary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So there's a lot in those four verses. So again, we're gonna to try to break it down verse by verse. So starting with verse seven, Paul starts off this passage, right? Again, by telling the Galatians, do not be deceived. We talked about this a little earlier. The only reason why he would need to say this is because the church either has been deceived or they're likely to be deceived. And so I think it's, it adds an extra importance to what he's saying after that. If he's saying, do not be deceived, we need to spend extra attention looking at what it is that we might be deceived by. Because it might be the thing that we're likely to think, okay, yeah, I've heard that before. I don't, I don't need to worry about that specifically. But for me, when I read, do not be deceived, that is a warning light of, okay, shoot, what, I, what might I be already deceived by? 
It says, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So we're living 2,000 years after this was written. And I think we're just like the Galatians in so many ways. Even now, we mock God. We really believe that we can live the way we want to live and not experience the corresponding consequences for our actions that are already laid out in the Bible. The realities that God has set in this world of how things work, right? This concept, what we just read in Galatians 6, 8, uh, that if you sow to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. These things are already said. We can look at that truth, that reality. Yet sometimes we try to sow to please the flesh and expect that we're going to reap from the spirit. That idea that we can get away with different things and we'll be okay because, yeah, the Bible says this, but I'm looking at this circumstance right now and the situation and what other people have said, and that makes way more sense. I really think I can handle it this way, right? We're just mocking God when we do that, when we think that we know best. God clearly shows us through the Bible what happens when we live according to the flesh and according to the spirit, but somehow we still often choose to live according to the flesh and expect different results. Even in the Old Testament, Job saw this reality way before this time of the Galatian church. He says, as I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. Whether we know what the Bible says and choose to ignore and think we know better, or if we simply don't know what the Bible says about how God designed life to work, either way, the result is the same. We reap what we sow, right? Either way, even if we don't know, the realities are still there. So with that being said, it would be wise to both humble ourselves to the realities that God has set in place and to get to know God's word better, to know how, what it really means to sow, to please the spirit rather than the flesh or to see the realities that God has set forth, right? You don't sow apple seeds and come back years later and expect to see an orange tree. What you sow is what you reap, right? Like agriculturally, that makes complete sense. No one would disagree. Yet somehow when we're talking about this, It's really hard to understand, like understanding that if we live selfishly and we have arrogant, prideful actions and all these different things that we choose, that it'll actually lead to hurt or pain in our lives or even in those around us. Like that might make sense on paper if I say that or if I point to scripture and say, yeah, for sure. But then tomorrow, what happens? We get into life, we have some conversations, we we start feeling more selfish, maybe something comes up and we think, yeah, I know this, but I want to do this right now. We just lose it so quickly. Paul gives us verse eight, even to further clarify this statement in verse seven, right? If we sow seeds to please our flesh, we reap destruction. If we sow seeds to please the spirit, we reap eternal life. If you guys were here last week, you got the pleasure of hearing from Scott and his message in Galatians 5. Uh, He gave the example, if you were here, of the two dogs. I really like that. Um, where there's two dogs kind of pulling you both ways and one is the flesh and one is the spirit. And that concept that they're gonna be constantly pulling for the rest of your life. And you actually have the power to feed those dogs. And so you can choose day by day, choice by choice, which dog you're, you're feeding in that sense of which one's gonna grow stronger and pull you harder in either direction, right? What you sow now will affect you years down the road. The two applications I have for this section should be pretty clear based on the scripture. And the first one for tonight is to make choices to please the spirit. Right, hopefully that makes sense based on Galatians 6. Make choices to please the spirit. 
if you want to live well, both in terms of living rightly and in a way that, you know, we can receive blessing as we serve God and love him, then how you choose to live each day makes all the difference. Right, there's an example in James 3.16. It says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. In Matthew 5, there's tons of examples in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. A great list of attributes and actions that um, God is honored by and that will lead to blessing. So what about you? Like, what choices are you making right now? What choices are you making that honor God in your life? What about the choices that you're making that are purely to please the flesh in that sense? Right. I want to encourage you guys, like take some time, think about your words, your thoughts, your actions, and what you're sowing by all of those. Right? Are you speaking to others in a really selfish or sarcastic way always? Are you thinking about things you shouldn't be or dwelling on or watching things, letting things into your life that you really shouldn't be? Things that aren't honoring to God? What do you spend your time doing? What does that look like? Like what are you sowing with each action, with each choice that you have? And did you know that God actually made you for a purpose? Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Man, that's just exciting to read. I love that verse. We have a purpose, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which are prepared, prepared in advance. Like, that is awesome. Doesn't that just, like, excite you, knowing that you have a purpose? That God has things prepared for you to do. Man, God loves you and he wants you to live a fulfilling life. More than just financial security, a happy family, more than those things. Paul knows how good life is when following God. And he wants that for this church, the church of Galatia. Man, I want that for all of us. Philippians 3.8, I love this, paints a great picture. What is more? This is Paul speaking. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Man, that is powerful. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul knows that the relationship we have with Christ is so much more important than anything else life has to offer. A college degree, the affection of a boyfriend or girlfriend, a stable career, everything. It's all garbage compared to a relationship with Christ. If you agree with that, like in your head right now, first, like that is awesome. It's just such an incredible statement to make. That is awesome. And secondly, I would ask you then, does your life, does that line up with that idea? Are, are you living that out? Or is it just a thought like, oh man, I want that. But our life isn't really looking that way right now. Are, and are you living that out? And if not, what well, needs to change? So again, I want to encourage you guys, like think about your words, your actions, your attitudes, the choices that you're making. Like what are you sowing in life today? What have you been sowing this semester? In 2 Corinthians 9, Paul also makes it clear that the amount we sow matters, right? This should be a pretty logical conclusion to make, but he spells it out in 2 Corinthians. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Right? Not only do, does the amount that we sow affect we reap, but also the ability to continue to sow. And I love that verse. Like it's it really exciting on one hand. Like, man, if I'm like sowing to the spirit and I'm doing that a lot, if I'm choosing to make choices that honor God, like that is awesome. 
that if I sow generously, I'm going to reap generously. But it's also kind of scary on the other side, right? If we are sowing to the flesh and that's our pursuit right now, we're just seeking our own worldly desires, things that won't last, things that bring harm to ourselves or others. Like this statement is still true either way. So the amount that we sow matters. And like I just mentioned, the ability to continue to sow matters as well. And that's my last point tonight, which is to persevere in doing what's right. Persevere in doing what's right. It's not a problem to keep doing good and, and serving others and carrying their burdens and sowing to please the spirit when it's easy or fun. Right, it's, if it's easy or if it's fun, like of course we're gonna keep doing it. Maybe you help a, a little old lady walk across the street and she hands you a $5 bill. Like you better believe I'm gonna get out of my car every single time I see a little old lady the rest of the day. Right, if things happen like that, it's like of course you're gonna wanna do it. But what happens when any of those things, carrying someone else's burden or sowing to the spirit, serving others, what happens when those aren't easy or they aren't fun? And most of the time they might not be. What about when we help someone by carrying their burden with them, or we gently re restore them. And out of a really loving, humble heart, we come up to them and say, hey, I, I see this thing that you're struggling with. And man, I totally relate to that. I struggle with that too. And this is what it did for me. And I really don't want that to happen to you. So I just wanted to let you know, what happens when you say something like that and someone, and they snap at you? Or they pridefully quip or they're sarcastic that they never needed your help in the first place. Heck, that doesn't feel good. That's hard. Martin Luther has this great, great quote about this. He says, it is easy enough to do good once or twice, but to keep on doing good without getting disgusted with the ingratitude of those whom we have benefited, that is not so easy. Yeah, that is so true. But this is exactly how we are called to live as believers. The world says to surround yourself only with those who know and value your worth, that you shouldn't help or even spend time around those that don't respect you or treat you well. But God says to love those people, to help those people, to continue to help them even when it's difficult. What a great picture again of how Jesus loved us. He's not asking you to do what he hasn't already done. In the last part of verse nine, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Paul mentions that, right? He says, that we will reap a harvest. Isn't that encouraging? It might be next week. It might not be getting the $5 bill from that little old lady immediately. It might be next week. It might be five years from now. It might be in heaven. But we can be assured that God does not break his promises. He hasn't and he won't. God keeps his promises. So with that, let's just spend a couple more minutes looking at the last verse on your handout. Galatians 6. 10, the last verse in this passage. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Right, whenever we have an opportunity, which here's a hint, it's all the time, right? Every, every moment, there's, there's always an opportunity that we can love someone or serve someone. Whenever we have an opportunity, do good to others. And that last part right after that, it almost kind of sounds funny at first glance. I don't know if you guys caught that as well, but when I read it, especially to those who belong to the family of believers, right? Especially to Christians, right? Does that mean that we, you know, if there's two people and one's a Christian, one's not, that we should actually like help the Christian, not the other person? Or if, you know, a friend calls us and they need help, but they're not a believer to say, ah, oh, sorry, it's not that important. I'm not going to worry about it. 
No, it does not say that. That's what I was tempted to think when I first read it. I was just curious about it. But this verse actually communicates the importance of unity among Christians, right? Paul is aware of how the church members related to one another and wanted to make sure they were starting by living rightly among themselves, right? How attractive would it be for you if you are not yet a believer or if you can think back to a time when you weren't and you had this really just awesome friend. They were really kind. They asked you a lot of questions. They were just there for you. And one day they invited you to church. You thought, okay, I'm not like too interested in that. I, I've heard of going to church and maybe I went once when I was little, but like this person is such a great friend. I'll give it a shot. I'll go with him. Like they're such a great person, like nothing could go wrong. So you go with them to church and you roll up to church and no one like looks at you, talks to you. It's super clicky. You hear people gossiping about one another left and right. Like there's just like rudeness all around. Honestly, you couldn't even tell it was a church at that point. It felt just like any other friend group, like just a really difficult place. Maybe you've actually experienced that, but this is exactly why Paul shares how important it is for Christians to take care and serve one another when they're together as well as everyone else, right? The book of Galatians was written to a church of believers and it was written for the community of Christians as a whole. All six chapters of Galatians was written to these people. So I firmly believe that this whole book is so helpful and applicable to everyone. I want to encourage you, if you're not yet a believer, to think about what that decision could mean about joining the community of believers. So Galatians outlines the importance of one true gospel, right? The lone gospel. The importance of our freedom that we have in life because of Christ, which is amazing. And the importance of community. The importance of the church working together, being united loving and serving one another as they love and serve others around them. God did not design us to do life alone. Right? Jesus has given you an invitation to join the family. And I really want to encourage you, if you haven't made that decision yet in your faith journey, I want to encourage you to make that decision, to pray about it, to write it down on your connection card, to talk with maybe a leader in challenge or someone from a church. And I want to encourage you guys, like what's holding you back from that? As we see in Galatians, this is just an amazing body of believers that Paul has clearly laid out how life can be lived and how great that freedom in Christ is. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given us um, just such great wisdom that uh, you have helped us how to live, that you haven't just um, put us here on earth and told us to figure it out. But God, you love us. You are a personal God. You care for us. You have a purpose for us. So we thank you for that, God. I pray for everyone in this room, God, that you would help us to um, take something away from not just this chapter, but the whole book of Galatians, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time that we have together to read it. I pray that you would just speak to each of us individually. You know what's going on in our, in our lives, in our hearts. And so I pray that you would just speak to each of us individually. Give us a, a next step. Help us to love you more, to follow you, to, to take the next step wherever you have us in life. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.